Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Truth About Trucking, live, hosted by Alan Smith, a 30-year OTR veteran, business entrepreneur, and motor carrier transportation consultant, specializing in assisting students and new drivers, and pushing forward to raise the standards of the trucking industry. And now, live from beautiful Citrus County, Florida, here's your host, Alan Smith. Hello and welcome back to Truth About Trucking Live. It's Monday, May 11, 2009, and I'm Alan Smith, right here on Blog Talk Radio's premier top-rated trucking talk radio show. Our call-in number, if you'd like to participate in the conversation, 347-826-9170. And just made it barely in time. I um, laid down about 5 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, Figured I'd uh, take a uh, little break, and uh, next thing I knew, Donna's waking me up about 15 minutes ago, saying, "You know, you got a show you got to get ready for." But here we are. I made it, and our show this evening: uh, concealed weapon permit and the CDL truck driver uh, has been given an audience rating of mature, and since Truth About Trucking Live currently has listeners throughout the United States and actually several countries around the world, we do advise for this show due to a somewhat adult subject matter and comments. If you have children close by, you may not want them to hear any such mature subject matter. So uh, we'll just throw that out for you. And uh, very important issues, uh, very important matters playing out throughout the uh, United States recently making headline news. I got an email several emails a while back, and most of them were kind of along the same lines as as asking, does anyone in government care in any way about the safety of our nation's professional truck drivers? So we're going to deal into that a little bit and see what we can come up with. Talking about the uh, Second Amendment to the United States Constitution, which is the part of the United States Bill of Rights that protects a right to keep and bear arms, and the meaning and scope of this right has been described as among the most contested of the rights codified in the Bill of Rights, believe it or not. Some believe it pertains to military only, and other sites, historic uh, English usage, describing it as the right for citizens to keep and bear their private arms. And in 2004, uh, President Bush issued a memo entitled, Whether the Second Amendment Secures an Individual Right. And in that memo, he stated, and I quote, the Second Amendment secures a personal right of individuals, not a collective right that may be invoked only by a state or a quasi-collective right restricted to those persons who serve in organized militia units. And the debate for this Second Amendment right in our Constitution still goes on today, but to me it's very simple. According to the United States Constitution, the Second Amendment reads, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, 
And that one little section there, a well-regulated militia, is where all the trouble begins for us today, where everybody is always trying to um, debate exactly what that meant by the Founding Fathers. To me, I believe a well-regulated militia, they're talking about all of us, all the citizens of the country. If our country was attacked, uh, we could all grab our arms and protect the country like we all would. So I believe they're saying that we're all a part of the militia in the protection of our own country. And uh, many other people do also as well, as I mentioned, that they cite historic English usage, meaning that this is a right for citizens to keep and bear their private arms. So the life, the life of a professional driver is dangerous enough when you're rolling down the road we all know this, but they can, without a doubt, be at risk in the truck stops, rest areas, or just about anywhere they park for a meal or when they fuel or for getting some rest. And the criminal element is always seeking prey. And sometimes a truck driver walking through a, a uh, dark truck stop parking lot, let's say, or even sitting in their cab at a rest area can appear to be an easy target for these criminals that are out there. And assaults can happen anytime, anywhere, even in broad daylight, and even in those parking areas that the driver may have safely used many times before. Uh, we've all been there. Um, it can just happen at any time. And deciding where to park is really one of the most important decisions a driver can make concerning their personal safety. And that is one thing students and CDL grads really need to take to heart and understand. You may be out there 50 years and never have a problem, but when it comes to parking, it really is the most important decision you can make when it comes to your personal safety while you're out there on the road. Truck stops, usually the safest places to uh, park for a professional trucker. Uh, still, no matter how safe an area appears to be, you need to take the precautions, you know, the same precautions that we all know, the common sense precautions, you know, try to find a parking spot that is well lit and as close as possible to the main building. We all know these things. We've all heard them before. Uh, though I still have to say, never get too comfortable with the security of a truck stop or, or again, any of those hundreds of places you've parked at before. This world is a uh, dangerous place from years past. Um, there's been many cases of attacks and uh, deadly assaults on truck stop properties, rest areas, and, and all of those little out-of-the-way parking spots. And remember that when you're entering or exiting the cab of the truck, that is the time you are most vulnerable to attack or an assault. And a rest area, probably your best alternative if you're not anywhere near a truck stop with available parking, but any rest area, isolated or not, 24-hour security or not, can be a very dangerous place at any time. Uh, it's just the world we live in now. Uh, how many stories go on that we never hear about? I'm sure there's many. Uh, we all kind of get used to our own little world, feeling safe where we're at. And, and you know, that's good in a way, but just you just got to be aware of your surroundings. Uh, I've, I've been in law enforcement. I, 
I was a law enforcement officer in a little town of 12,000 people before I was there. Um, it was just a nice little town. Everybody knew everybody. Everybody loved everybody. Part of, part of being the general public, you have no idea what goes on in other people's lives and in your surroundings until you jump into something like law enforcement. My very first day as a police officer in this town that I grew up in and knew everybody, my very first day as a cop, my very first call was going to a house that I knew very well because I'd been there all my life and uh, had to go in and investigate uh, a rape of a 13, 14-year-old little girl by her father. And this is a, a little town, like I said, that I had grew up in. But I had been a part of the general public and had never seen or heard of such things and just had no idea things like this goes on. And uh, again, like I said, you really don't know until you've been in law enforcement and you see humanity and really what goes on out there or if you're a part of the criminal element that's doing it out there. So very dangerous world. Headlines in the news, uh, I often wonder how, ma how many of the stories that we don't hear about. Uh, some headlines that I've uh, been keeping track of, uh, a, a truck driver January 16, 2009, a uh, truck driver was found dead in his truck outside the Bun Boy restaurant on West Main Street in Barstow, California, around 10.30 a.m. on that Friday. And autopsy results showed he died of a gunshot wound to the head, but there are few leads, no motive, and no one in custody in his killing at this time. And February 22, 2008, Tampa, Florida, right up the road from us, the driver of a semi-trailer truck trying to sleep inside the cab of his 18-wheeler was fatally shot early that morning while he waited for the loading docks of an East Tampa manufacturing plant to open. Going back a little bit further, December 15, 2006, again in Tampa, Florida, a truck driver was approached by a man demanding his cash and was then shot in the stomach at point-blank range. And, of course, the most recent one that we're all very well of, March 9, 2009, out of Calhoun County, authorities say a truck driver was found shot to death inside his truck just off of I-26 on that Saturday morning. And Sheriff's Department says a, a concerned citizen called authorities after seeing an 18-wheeler park with an interior lights on at an uh, out-of-business gas station just off of uh, exit 136 there overnight and when deputies responded of course we now all know they found that a, a window had been shot out and authorities say the driver who we all know is was 35 year old Jason Rivenberg of Fultonham, New York had been shot and they believe that he was a victim of a robbery and if you hadn't heard uh, all they got away with was seven dollars and this case obviously began the move in legislation to implement what has become known as Jason's Law. And what about the stories that we don't hear about, the ones that never make the news? Um, how often does it happen? You know, I, who knows? I, 
doesn't happen a really great deal, you know, who knows. But once is enough, and uh, it does happen very, very often out there. And, again, many times we don't even hear about it. And, and not just danger from strangers, but our truckers crisscrossing America and the time we live in now can even face danger from fellow truckers. It's the world we live in. July 13, 2007, a long-distance truck driver gave statements implicating himself in six slayings in four states after a detective discovered there to be blood inside the cab of his rig. On April 5, 2009, more recently, we've all seen the FBI suspects that serial killers working as long-haul truckers are responsible for the slayings of hundreds of prostitutes, hitchhikers, and stranded motorists whose bodies have been dumped near highways over the last three decades. So, this is a world we live in. The danger is real. It's out there. Truckers face it every day, even even if they don't even know it's around. Um, I've been asked quite often, uh, what have I ran in? What have uh, I ran into when I've been out there? And I have to say. 30 plus years of driving, um, I guess I did all right. Uh, my thing was I was uh, I very seldom put myself in positions in situations like that. But uh, I did get caught a couple times. Uh, once at a uh, truck stop in Jessup, Maryland, and uh, I know everybody knows which truck I'm talking which truck stop I'm talking about. Jessup, Maryland. That's all you have to say. Pulled in there one early morning and uh, really didn't think I was going to get a parking space because it was so late and uh, found one little spot I could squeeze into. Uh, pulled in there, shut down, crawled back into the bunk and just fell asleep. And about, oh, well, probably about 15 minutes later, I woke up to gunfire. Uh, sounded like it was five or six trucks down from where I was. Well, that woke me up real quick. And then I heard some yelling, more gunfire, and um, peeked out the uh, peeked out from behind my curtain, couldn't really see anything. And then it kind of all got quiet. And then within minutes, the uh, all the cops were there. I mean, just red lights going everywhere. Just turned into mayhem. And uh, cranked up the uh, CB radio and listened to all the chatter. And uh, sure enough, somebody about five, six, seven trucks down had been shot. A driver had been shot, was laying there on the ground. I didn't. I never looked over there and saw him. Uh, but about an hour later, the uh, the old car that we all recognized uh, drove up, the medical examiner's car. And uh, so I knew right then that sure enough that had happened. So, but it wasn't really involved in me. But I often wondered okay, what if the guy that did the shooting had ran over to my truck and started getting in? There I was. I didn't carry a firearm. Uh, totally defenseless. You know, it really puts you in a situation where you really think, you know, what what could I have done and really what can you do against a gun? Really nothing. And that was one time. Another time... Uh, years ago, back in the uh, mid-80s, late-80s, I was running through Ohio, and uh, it was just getting dark, dark enough where it was just kind of hard to see. I was running down the interstate, and I noticed all the vehicles in front of me 
started swerving. I mean, just real crazy, just swerving like crazy right in front of me. And it, it was like when you swerve to uh, miss like a deer in the road, you know, how you do a sharp turn and sharp curve. That's what everybody in front of me was doing. I couldn't quite see what was going on. And then all of a sudden I did see there was a man standing right in the middle of the road of the interstate, of course, right in my lane. I'm heading right to him now. And he's holding a rifle. And uh, as I'm going straight at him, he, he levels the rifle and points it straight at me right through my windshield. And it, everything happened so fast. <clears throat> didn't have time to get scared or worry about anything. I, I just thought to myself, okay, you know, buddy, if you want to play, we'll play. I've got an 80,000-pound rig here. So I just ducked down and floorboarded it and headed straight to him. And uh, didn't feel a thump or anything, so obviously he jumped out of the way. Um, and there was about a rest area about 10 miles down the road that I pulled into. This was before I had cell phones. And uh, pulled in there and called 911, and of course they had already received dozens of calls about the situation. And I followed up on it later, and I found out that the, the, the cops had come out there and they got him off the interstate. And um, he was actually just trying to commit suicide. And the rifle that he pointed was pointing at everybody turned out to be unloaded. But, you know, how do you know that? When when a rifle stares you in the face, loaded or unloaded, you know, it, it uh, tends to get your attention. And um, a few other little things when I've been down into the boroughs of New York City, like the Bronx and uh, Queens and things like that, I've been, a, when I haven't planned my trip accordingly and I ended up down there in the boroughs, uh, earlier than I should have gotten and um, had people knocking on my door and drug dealers using my rig as a as a hideout from the cops that were patrolling around. And, you know, they knock on my door wanting money and, you know, what can I do? you got to give them money. I had one guy ask me for some money when I was parked down there in Queens or Bronx, wherever it was, too early. And uh, he kept coming back asking me for money. And uh, at one point he said, you know, hey, it's better than I it's better that I ask an armed robbery and uh couldn't argue with that, you know. So but those are the few things that's happened to me. I've never never have faced assault, never been attacked. Um but I often think about it, often wonder about it. Uh, uh being jumped or something, uh you know, I I can handle myself pretty good. That really never bothered me any, but it's the firearm, it's the weapons. You know, what What? What can you do against that? And we see that so often anymore. And again, like I say, I often wonder about the stories that we don't hear about. Um, according to uh, U.S. Department of Justice, homicides are most often committed with guns, especially handguns. And now, more and more semi-rig and trailer hijackings are taking place, so much so that the Highway Information Sharing Analysis Center, uh, funded by the Department of Homeland Security, issued a recent warning concerning the hijacking and criminal activity along the U.S. and Mexico border. And they stated truck drivers carry a risk as they are involved in operations that might interest these criminals. And they added that drivers should maintain situational awareness at all times and be extremely conscious of their environment. So that's another thing that's just recently hit the news, hijackings. Um, that's been going on 
for a long, long time. Uh, I dealt with that years ago when I was making runs to uh, El Paso and back, back and forth to El Paso. Saw a lot of things go on out there along that stretch of I-10, and uh, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And vehicle uh, hijacking is nothing new. Uh, I hear a lot of these news reports and things talking about how it's something new, and and the the first known carjacking took place on an open road in March of 1912. the chauffeur and the young secretary in the vehicle were killed. That was in 1912. So this is nothing new, but it's something that has hit the headlines and making more and more news and another element that our professional truckers have to face uh, uh, many times. And having been a police officer, I know that many cases are not even reported. Um, So just wonder how much of this stuff goes on that's never even heard about. Uh, Donna, how are we doing over there? Are you getting up to chat? I, I can't get in the chat. I, I just can't do it. You can't get in the chat? No. Oh, I've got the chat up. Let's see. We're just getting started. Uh, got uh, uh, 10 people in there right now. We're just getting started. Hi, everybody. Thanks for being here. Uh, appreciate you being here. Uh, we'll keep trying. Donna's trying to get on the chat. so. Um, I know I've got, I've got something weird going on here on my board. My my number is coming up all ones, which which is kind of odd. But ask them uh, if they're trying to get on and they can't get on. Oh, uh, they're on. Oh, yeah. yeah, I see some on and everything, and we've got some. The callers. Yeah. yeah, we've got some callers on the line, but I guess they're just listening because I don't see my little hand. But but the uh, concealed weapon permit uh, gives a person. Uh, a legal state right to carry a weapon, and currently 48 out of the 50 U.S. states allow some type of concealed weapon permit, which allows a person to carry a concealed weapon. Um, Some of these 48 states are shall issue, which means that if you you meet their requirements, uh, then they'll issue a concealed weapon permit. Other states are may issue, which means they have discretion over who gets a license, even if you meet their requirements. Um, Furthermore, many of the states will honor a concealed weapon permit from another state. Uh, You can find a list of which states honor what permits at a a great site I found uh, at handgunlaw.us, or you can go to our blog at askthetrucker.com and in the search engine there, type in uh, CDL drivers and the gun permit, and you'll see our post with the link to the PDF file showing this information. Um, but there's a lot of little laws that can trip you up. For instance, here in Florida, if you have a concealed weapon permit and you're running up to Washington State, Nebraska and Washington does not honor your Florida permit. And this is the case in many situations. You have to know the law for each state you are traveling through. And keep in mind, laws are different for CMVs, commercial motor vehicle. The law enforcement officer does not have to have probable cause to search a commercial vehicle, unlike the average motorist out there. So many things can happen that can get you in a bind out there with carrying a gun in a truck and everything. Less than two weeks ago, a driver in Tennessee 
was cited for having a gun in the truck of his cab. Now, I don't know what happened. don't know if the driver had a permit. But it brings up the million dollars. If the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution gives us the right to keep and arms and protection, then why are we as truck drivers who often find ourselves operating or parked in dangerous areas throughout our cities, law-abiding citizens working in law-abiding jobs and living our lives accordingly, we refuse to write and punish sometimes for carrying a weapon for our own personal protection? That's the million-dollar question. Our number, 347-826-9170. On April 11, 2009, just recently, again, here in Florida, a 55-year-old truck driver from Mount Dora was arrested for uh, carrying a firearm without a concealed weapon permit into the Letterkenny Army Depot. Uh, now, why why did he do that? You know, I, I don't know. I didn't have a permit. Went on a, on an Army uh, Depot there here in Florida. The driver had the gun in his sleeper cab, and he arrived at the uh, main gate of the base. And he told police he had the gun when they asked him about it. And uh, he was arrested and taken to Franklin County Prison and arraigned before uh, Magisterial District Judge Todd Williams on the charge of uh, carrying without a license. And bail was set at $10,000, and the preliminary hearing has been scheduled. Um, Right along I-95 way station, the truck driver, the, the driver of commercial truck was arrested at the Greenwich Way Station on I-95 North after state police found a handgun and knife in the tractor trailer, according to police. And if the handgun was unloaded and in a locked case, it was 100% legal. The uh, night, and if he had a permit. Uh, they never tell you if he has a permit. The, uh, the 1986 Federal Firearm Owner Protection Act protects legal owners of firearms while traveling, as long as they are legal to possess in the state where they begin and end their journey, they may travel through any intervening state. And the driver could have also applied for a non-resident permit to carry. And if you already have a permit to carry in your home state, it's it's a relatively uh, simple application for a non-resident permit. But keep in mind, many states do not honor non-resident permits. And apparently this driver didn't have a permit. I don't know the story did not elaborate, but uh, these are a lot of little laws that can get you tripped up, just like I mentioned. Even if you're licensed here in Florida and you're going to Washington State, if you go through Nebraska and you get to Washington, they don't recognize your permit. So this is what makes it so difficult for so many people. Uh, you have to know every little state and the state law out there. Uh, but we all know... carry a firearm in a commercial motor vehicle. On the contrary, we have the Peaceable Journey Law, Title uh, Title 18, Section 926A, under uh, Title 18, which is the Crimes and Criminal Procedure, Part 1 Crimes, and Chapter 44 is Firearms. Peaceable Journey Law says, notwithstanding any other provision of any law or any rule or regulation of a state or any political subdivision thereof, any person who is not otherwise prohibited by this chapter from transporting, shipping, or receiving a firearm 
shall be entitled to transport a firearm for any lawful purpose from any place where he may lawfully possess and carry such firearm to any other place where he may lawfully possess and carry such firearm if during such transportation the firearm is unloaded and neither the firearm nor any ammunition being transported is readily accessible or is directly accessible from the passenger compartment of such transporting vehicle, provided that in the case of a vehicle without a compartment separate from the driver's compartment, the firearm or ammunition shall be contained in a locked container other than the glove compartment or console. So, there it is. In writing, it is perfectly legal to carry a firearm in your vehicle or rig <coughs> abiding by those rules, yet Again, so many things can still trap you, in my opinion. Various city, county, and state laws of the states and jurisdictions you may be passing through, and ignorance of officials who still don't understand this right to carry. And, of course, the trucking company policy itself. And most have it, the policy stating you, the driver, cannot carry a weapon in their truck, period. <clears throat> So is a company policy such as this violating you of your Second Amendment right? And another problem I see people getting themselves involved in is believing that the word concealed means concealed. Many people believe that if they have the firearm laying in plain sight, like on the seat or dashboard, then it's legal because it's not concealed. And this can be a big mistake because various law enforcement agencies and officers all have a different view of what concealed really means. Uh, I know that sounds silly, but it's true. Most law enforcement uh, personnel would not consider it concealed, but there are lots of places and areas and different jurisdictions in various states where a uh, non-concealed firearm is not permitted. Again, going back to various city, county, and state laws, and there may be law enforcement personnel who take a different view, like I said, of what really constitutes concealed. So there is no federal law saying it is illegal to carry a firearm in a CMV. We have the Peaceable Journey Law stating the legal procedures of carrying a firearm in a vehicle, crossing even state lines. Yet drivers have been cited, arrested, their rigs impounded, for having been found with a weapon in their truck. We are having truckers killed by the criminals and their rigs hijacked, drivers murdered while sleeping, uh, waiting in their truck for a shipper or a receiver to open. We have trucking companies making it against company policy for the driver to carry a weapon, and yet trucking leads us into many dangerous areas for the sake of getting the job done. Uh, but what do you think? Another point here, by allowing drivers to carry firearms in their trucks, um, could this create more deadly problems? Uh, just a thought here I'll throw out and let you be thinking about. In February of 2009, two truck drivers were arrested after police say they pulled weapons on each other after an argument about a parking stall at a rest area on I-95. Uh, police say that Thomas Platts, of Bay, Arkansas, pulled a gun on Ronald Pratt of Revere, Massachusetts, who then pulled a knife. Now, 
we all know the old saying, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight, but that, that's what happened here. But police said they received a 911 call from Pratt, and then when police responded to the rest area, Platts, the trucker with a gun, had already left. But he was eventually stopped on I-95 North and found with one loaded 44 caliber handgun and one 38 caliber handgun. And Pratt, the guy with a knife, was also charged with breach of peace and weapons offenses for possession of a knife. And he was held on $30,000 for a court appearance. Uh, I just, that just strikes me wrong. The guy pulls a gun on him, he pulls a knife to protect himself, he ends up getting arrested and, uh, and held on $30,000 bond because he had a knife. Uh, but what about such arguments? Truckers, we all know as well as anybody, really can get in some heated arguments. Just just listen to the CB radio. You all know what I'm talking about. Uh, what do you think? If the truck drivers could carry guns in their trucks without having to worry about breaking any city, county, or state laws or their company policy, uh, could it lead to more violent situations? A heated argument, uh, the drivers stop their rigs to settle it. You know the story. One guy gets out ready for a good old fist fight, and the other pulls a gun, and in the blink of an eye, it's over. And, of course, most of us live our lives as responsible, decent human beings. And uh, what about Jason Reibenberger and all the others and the others that we don't hear about? Good, responsible people just working for a living. If they could have a weapon for self-defense, who knows? Uh, they could still be with us today. So is our Second Amendment right being violated? That is the question, 347-826-9170 is our number. Uh, we'll open up lines, take some calls. I see my little hand here, area code 413. Thanks for calling. You're on, you're on live with Truth About Trucking Live. Go ahead. How you doing, Alan? How you doing, Donna? Uh, I'm good. Donna, she can only hear me talk, but uh, she, oh, okay. she knows you're there. So. Um, uh, uh, oh, that's okay. Looking... How are you doing? Good, how are you? Uh, I'm up here in Massachusetts, and uh, I was listening to the show, and uh, um, if uh, most people don't realize, we don't even follow the Constitution anymore. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, um, like you said, there's different laws in every state. You know, why can't they come up with, like, a federal license for you to carry where it's good everywhere? Yeah, I mean, obviously, that gentleman that, you know, carried his weapon onto a military installation, of course he was going to be arrested because that's U.S. government property. I mean... He probably should have known better right. than to do something like that. But for the average citizen, if you have the right, you know, you pay to get a license to carry, and, you know, you never know when you may have to use that to protect yourself or your family or whatever. And on the road, as you know, as well as everybody else does, your truck is your, you know, is your property. You have a right to protect yourself and whoever's in that truck, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think they need to, you know, the, 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 like you said, the problem is that all the states are not on the same page. Everybody looks at it differently, like you said. Concealed, people consider that you're hiding it or, you know, um, that you're not responsible. I mean, there isn't any difference than being in a, a plane with 250 people and the pilot having a gun and you're, you know, 30,000 feet in the air. I mean, it's it comes down to common sense. You have to know, you know, when the situation is going to escalate and things of that nature, but you, just, you should have definitely have the right to protect yourself, especially when you're on, like you said, in a truck stop or, 
you know, I mean, every day you look in the paper, you know, everybody, there's a lot of gun activists out there that say guns kill people, and that's probably the biggest misconception. Guns don't kill people, people kill people. And I think right. that the government needs to take a stance on allowing people to protect their property. You know, when you're at home and if somebody was trying to break in your house, you have a right to defend yourself, you know. And I think mm -hmm. they're taking that right away from you, not allowing you to be able to carry a weapon in your truck. Not, I mean, I'm not saying there probably isn't some people out there that, you know, do stupid things with guns because I'm sure there are. But pr probably the majority of the people are just, you know, it's, it's a, it, you know you have it if you need it and you know how to use it. You know, if it came to it, I mean, I'm not saying that everybody should go out and carry a gun. I'm not saying that. But I think you should have the right to decide whether you should or you shouldn't. It shouldn't be, you know, different laws for every single state that you travel through. They should be a general law that a driver has the right to protect himself and his property anywhere in the 48 states. You know, I mean, obviously Canada is a different story, but, you know, you hear all these stories about, I mean, I drove over the road, and I have to honestly say, I never had any problems. Um, you know, you, you, back then, back in the 90s, it was basically, you know, fist fights and stuff like that. But obviously because of the economy and things like that, people are, you know, they're, they're you know, they're, they're, they're looking for money, you know. And they think that, mm -hmm. you know, truck drivers are millionaires, I guess. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think we need to we need to address this to the government. You know, they, they need to address these issues, whether it's one truck driver or 50 truck drivers out there that get hurt or killed, it's still a human being. And, you know, how would they feel if it was their son or daughter or father or mother, you know, out there just trying to make a living, you know, and, you know, right. something happens and, you know, and that's usually how it is, you know. They don't do anything until somebody important gets hurt, and then they, you know, then they look at it and say, well, maybe we need to change it. Well, I mean, the, the, the change has come. I mean, the, the trucking industry is forever evolving, and unfortunately the, the government hasn't grown to accept the fact that there's not enough parking. There isn't, you know, adequate safety all the time. There's not, you know, sometimes you have to protect yourself, and, you know, you never know where somebody's going to do something. I mean, people just doing their paperwork and somebody just decides to drive by and start shooting at their truck and stuff. I mean, I, I think it's, I mean, <clears throat> I would hope that, you know, the politicians would, you know, look at this more seriously and, and look at it at a broader spectrum, you know, all over in all 48 states and, and look at the statistics as far as, you know, drivers getting hurt or assaulted or, shot or injured or whatever and look at it and see if they could work in some kind of a law, you know, it's a shame that somebody has to die for them to think about, you know, uh, making a law for a driver who's out there on his own. Maybe sometimes he's with his wife or son or daughter or whatever um, to protect them. Yeah. You never, you know, you, yeah. you never think of it, you know. You, you, you want to yeah. hope that you pray that people would never do that. But people are so unpredictable, you just never know. And you have to be careful who you can trust and who you can't trust. But when you're out on the road, you really, other than a tire, you know, tire thumper, you really don't have adequate protection. I mean, you know, the trucks are sheet metal. No, no. 
you know. But they, you know, oh, yeah. I, they need to, you know, I was a military police officer for 14 years, and, you know, um, they, you know, it, it's it's a totally different ball game. You know, when you are when you do it for a job and when you're doing something for to protect other people, you know, the biggest the misconception is people don't understand is that, you know, once you pull that trigger, you better make darn sure that you're making the right decision because somebody's going to get hurt. You know, right. and it's the right. same thing. You know, it's the same thing with being a truck driver. I mean, you know, you have you should have a right to protect yourself without a doubt. You know, for anybody, it goes for anybody. I mean, you know, um, because there's so much um, crime in, in the economy. Yeah, obviously, it's getting a little better. It's starting to. Um, you know, what's it going to be next? Um, people in motorhomes getting murdered and. You know, maybe then they'll take a look at it and they'll, and they'll realize that it's not just drivers that are at danger, but people from all over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, Don and I was talking about it earlier, I mean, uh, several weeks ago, really, when we were talking about it. And and uh, I had a thought that, you know, if you get your hazmat endorsement, you have your fingers, uh, you have your finger printed. Uh, if you go into a port, you have to get your quick card. You have to be fingerprinted. Uh, as a police officer, I was fingerprinted. So my fingerprints are all over the place. I mean, if, if I ever decide to do a crime, man, they'll pick me up in five minutes. And, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I just got... Yeah, I... Truckers that could be serial killers. Why don't they just make it a law where everybody, when your driver's license is comes up for renewal, just fingerprint them? And uh, you know that would that would because if you've never committed a crime, you're not in the system. You know you're, they don't have your fingerprint. They don't know who you are. When your uh, when your license comes up for renewal, just make it mandatory for everybody to be fingerprinted, and all the fingerprints will be on. Now I know people will come back and say, well, that's violating my private, you know, my my privacy. And uh, but I, you know, I. For the most part, we're all law-abiding citizens. I mean, if you're a criminal, you're a criminal. That's just the way it is. But uh, uh, what do you what do you think how that idea would fly if they just made everybody uh, get fingerprinted? I think it's a good idea. I mean, I mean, I have hazmat, and you know as well as everybody else out there knows that when you have to, when you have a hazmat, you do get fingerprinted, and the fingerprints uh, go to the FBI, and they look at you and see, you know, well, this person's applying for a hazmat or he's had it for a long time, um, you know, you, I mean, obviously you're in the system. Um, it would be so much easier for them to, you know, look at the driver and, you know, know whether this person, based on um, how long he's had his hazmat or stuff like that, that he's a law-abiding citizen because he's had the hazmat for a long time, his fingerprints are like you said, all over the place. I mean, yeah, I, it, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if they're I, I, the database, I think, but they can handle it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a... I think it's a simple idea, and I'm talking about the four-wheelers, too. I'm talking about the general public, and, and uh, I mean, we make it too easy for the criminals out there, you know? I mean, yeah. um, I just don't... I, I'm perfectly forward. It's just an idea we came up with, and I thought, well, that could solve the whole thing right there. That could solve a large majority of it anyway. If even the four-wheelers, if the general public, truckers, if everybody just got fingerprinted and their fingerprints were on file, 
uh, that would certainly help the authorities catch them, just like these the serial killers running around and stuff. So, um, as long, but you know, yeah. it's just a thought. As long as the Go weapons ahead. are registered too, you know, if they had some way of knowing, you know, every time you have you, you buy or purchase another gun, it goes into the system, so they know that you know Allen has uh, Glock 45 with this serial number, and here's his fingerprints so that they can keep track of, you know, the weapons that are out there. I think the problem is, is like you said, there's criminals that have easier access to get to weapons than the, the, the law-abiding citizens do. And unfortunately, uh, in the way that some of, some of these states look at it is that the person who's trying to protect themselves is the criminal, and the criminal is the innocent person, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, we have a... Uh, Mark Mark in Ark in our um, chat room put up a little statement. Several states currently require a thumbprint during renewal of driver's license. Well, that's good. Right. Now we just need to make now we need to make everybody do it. And you know, if they whine and cry, well, you're invading my privacy, then I have to wonder, well, what do they have to hide? Because I certainly have no problem being fingerprinted. And no. Uh, no. I just I, I just think. I think it's a good idea, and just make it across the board for everybody, and that would uh, certainly make it easier to catch these criminals out there. Because, uh, and you know, we we do have the right to carry a weapon in the truck. The problem lies with the truck policy. So I often wonder, I often ask myself, should a should a a company policy oversee a uh, federal law or or a uh, a constitutional right? And that's where the drivers are finding themselves in, in problems because uh, according to the Constitution and everything that I've dug up, you can carry a gun in, in the truck, but, but the trucking company is telling you, no, that's not our policy, you can't do it. So should they be able to uh, take away a constitutional right like that? That's kind of where the question really lies. No, I don't believe so. I believe that the, if if you were to put the, the owner of a trucking company in the same situation where he had, you know, he had to protect himself, would you follow, you know, the trucks, the, the trucking company's policy or would you follow life policy? You know, you shouldn't right. have put in a situation mm -hmm. like that where you have to decide, gee, would I rather get terminated or be dead? You know, um, right. A, a lot of the a lot of the problem lies too is you know the trucking companies are gonna are gonna fight to try to get some money out of the driver maybe the insurance will go up or something because the insurance companies will say that there's more of a chance of you know something like that happening but you know it obviously it's it's definitely gotten to the point where you you're just not as safe as you you normally would be. I mean, I'm sure that the people that are in Winnebago's and RVs, I can almost guarantee they're probably not going on the road empty-handed, you know. Mm -hmm. And why should uh, I doubt why it. Should yeah, I doubt it very highly, too. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I I don't know. I, I think that the problem is, is the government is just, you know, being very blindsided about this. I mean, it's in the Constitution, the right to bear arms and protect your, you know, protect your land and they're just, I mean, essentially your truck is your land when you're a driver. You're responsible for it. If you wreck it, you get terminated or, you know, suspended. I mean, what's the, 
you know, what could possibly mm-hmm. be the big problem with allowing a driver who drives for your company to protect your truck and property as much as, as him and his property? You know, right. <clears throat> I don't understand right. the laws and, you know, I think sometimes as times change that the laws have to change with the times. And I think that's the problem is a lot of these states, you know, Ohio, the they call it the Gestapo state, you know, where they pretty much do and do whatever they please. They don't fall, follow the, you know, the federal law. They go by the state law, you know, so. Right. Right. Well, well, I see it. I see it. Don't mean to interrupt you, but I see it as coming companies. And again, we have to touch bases on. I see I'm already chatting about it in the chat room about the shippers and receivers. I mean, of course, most most of them have policies. You can't bring a gun on their property. It's their property. They have the right to do that. But um, I I never dealt with it because I never carried out there because I didn't want to run into the situation. But so you have the trucking companies, you have the shippers and receivers. Uh, I guess you can just leave it there. But I, some of the things I've heard, people going into shippers and receivers will be up front and say, hey, you know, I, I do have a gun in the truck, and they'll still call the law enforcement office on them. Yeah, if you're, if you're telling the people ahead of time that you are armed or or that you do have a weapon in the truck and it's secured, I I don't see where that would be. Um, a problem. I mean, it's not any different than somebody, you know, uh, whether it's a disgruntled worker or something, start shooting up the place. I mean, your weapon is in a safe area. Um, they know about it. They know, you know, what truck it's in and stuff like that. I don't see where that would be a problem. I mean, as long as you kept <clears throat> the people that you're delivering to or picking up from that you have it and that, you know, maybe they could come out with some kind of a card um, a federal on a federal level to let people know that, you know, you are qualified to carry that weapon and that you've been trained and that you've been fingerprinted and, you know, that you're yeah. not, you know, some, you know, half-wit, you know, with a loaded weapon and on a dock. I think that um, people would probably be a little more susceptible saying, I just want to let you know that I do have a weapon, and maybe they could come out with some kind of a, a way where if you do enter uh, a, um, a ship or receiver, that maybe they could find a way for them to uh, take your weapon while you're there and secure it until you leave, or something of that nature, or maybe... Yeah, just, just turn, turn it over to the uh, security guard at the gate there. Right. Uh, maybe they just maybe they just don't want to get into all that hassle. Can you imagine? You know, 500 trucks a day and 480 of them handing their guns over. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's that's part of it too. But right. um, you know, the security guards are responsible for you while you're there. So, I mean, and I never seen too many of them that are armed except for the radio. I don't see where that would. Yeah. You know, it, it may run into. You know, but I mean. It's no different than when you're at a shipper. They're responsible. If something happens to you while you're at their dock or whatever, um, they're financially responsible. So you're not really, you're not really. I mean, you have probably have a better chance of, you know, being hurt if you're armed. But I mean, I think sometimes in a situation like that, 
if somebody see, if somebody has an idea in their head that they're going to do something and you happen to come out of your truck and you have a weapon on your you know your holster and a weapon, they they might think twice about it. They may not even you know they'd say okay well that's, maybe I'll table that idea for another time or you know it, it, it mm-hmm. sometimes it's a more of a a preventative thing too. People look at it as you know guns are bad and they kill people. That's absolutely right, but you can take a loaded weapon and you can put it on your dining room table and, you know, there's no problem. But the minute you get somebody that has an attitude or they're mad at somebody or something and they grab that gun, that's when it becomes dangerous. But as long as you have proper training and and you know, you know, you're not going out half-cocked going after somebody, um, I don't see where, you know, there's a problem. I think that it's definitely something that the companies need to look into uh, if they want to protect their trucks and trailers and property and drivers. And I mean, <clears throat> you keep hearing about a shortage of drivers, but, I mean, if you could save one life and just, uh, you know, redo your policy and the way the company looks at it, or just turn the other cheek and say, hey, you know, do what you got to do, you know. But yeah. the problem lies with the insurance companies for the trucking companies. That's where the problem would lie. I mean, if I was an owner of a trucking company and some guy said to me, you know, I just want to let you know I'm carrying it, say, you know, and what I don't know doesn't hurt me, you know. Just don't do anything stupid and yeah. you probably won't ever have a problem. But, you know, that's where the problem lies is that the trucking companies would be responsible. And it is it, definitely... a huge mess that needs to, you know, obviously be yeah, brought is. down to big boys in Washington and say, okay, here's, you know, this is the deal. I mean, we're hauling freight all over the country and, you know, we, we don't feel safe. You know, what what can you do? Is there any way that you could help the people who are keeping the country basically moving every day um, safer, whether it's, you know, building more rest areas with security guards or or uh, armed guards walking around or, you know, or, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. Some of the truck stops have security guards and some of them don't, you know. So it's definitely something that needs to be addressed before more people's innocent lives get taken because of a a policy that overrides a federal government law and is put into the Constitution. It just kind of doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, that's what I say. And we look at, uh, you know, um, and, you know, like I said, I I, I didn't really, I I never had really much trouble out there, you know. But like I said, I always, uh, I was always aware and I I wouldn't put myself in situations. But there were times when I had a uh, 4 or 5 a.m. delivery, you know, in the Bronx or Queens, and I would scoot in there and I made better time than I expected. And I got in there a little bit early. I'd get in there like 3 and there I'm sitting in the dark, and uh, I've got drug dealers around me, you know, and nothing to defend my, you know, it's a pretty hairy situation, but I think the government people, they don't, uh, you know, they're not in that situation. They just don't get it. They're just blinded by it. And uh, so there have been many times I often wondered, what in the world would I do? <laughs> I mean, I would be totally defenseless. And, and you know, we look at Jason Rivenberger, who was robbed for $7, and, and again, a lot of stories that I know, without a doubt, go untold and, and never even get reported. So, um, but as I look more into this thing, we all have the right to do it, 
and carry in the in the truck, but it really just boils down to a company policy that is really violating your constitutional right, and that's the point that uh, that you know I like to touch on and um, you know get people's opinions on that because it, yeah. it just doesn't seem it just doesn't seem right to me, and I, I always I assume that the company your employer is also uh, you know holds some responsibility in your safety while you're out on the job. So when they shoot you down into a Chicago or Detroit or the New York City uh, the boroughs at you know four three four five a.m. that's not really looking out for your safety that much or uh, you're just kind of a sitting duck in many cases. All right, absolutely, and the, and the thing is too is that. Unfortunately, all the states are not the same. Like you said, you can be driving in New Jersey and you have a license to carry. You go to Texas and you're not. It's like it should be a unilateral license to carry in any state. It shouldn't just be for one state. Just like, you know, you get a you get a ticket in with your CDL in Connecticut and you're from, you know, California, it's a unilateral thing. They, the states do talk to each other to make sure that either you get, you know, two points on your license or whatever, so why should not a federal license to carry be the same, where if you had a federal license to carry in one state, it's good for all states. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And it obviously it would be uh, a revenue maker for the government because people that want to drive and protect themselves and have that right to do so, um, they should be able to do that without any hassles about, you know, gee, i got to take my gun and i got to hide it because I'm going into, you know, Arizona. You know, and the, and the thing right. is, is all the laws are different, which makes it hard because you don't know what the laws are in that state, you know. The yeah, the they, make it, they, they make it really, really difficult. There's so many little laws and bylaws and rules, yep. and it's just impossible. It's even it's even impossible for the people who write the who write the laws to to keep up with it all. And uh, somebody here in our chat, Bulldog Thirty Six, thanks for being here. He writes in a gunfight and hurt bystanders, and that's what we touched on earlier too. So they look at all that. Let me pull up uh, uh, another. I'll I'll keep your line open there, uh, Jason, if you'd like to keep on talking. And I've got a. Um, Area code nine four zero. I believe I know who this is, but I see your little hand up there. So uh, go ahead, you're live on the air. How you doing, Alan? Yeah, this is Silver Surfer. Oh, okay, I knew it. Okay, how you doing? Uh, hanging in there. Been been listening to pretty good conversation. Uh, I figured I'd go ahead and pipe in with my two cents. <laughs> it's uh, okay, it's, sure. Uh, first, I'd like to kind of. It's, you know, to share my my opinion, I guess is the best way to put it. My beliefs, uh, what I've been taught from family uh, when I was growing up in regards to our Second Amendment right, and you know the basic understanding, and it's very clear that the right of the citizens to to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now we've you all have been discussing laws and what our federal government should do. Uh, city laws, state laws, local laws, each and every one of these laws, in my opinion, is an infringement on my right to keep and bear arms, uh, to possess a weapon 
and and it and it has been in 2008 by the Supreme Court upheld that the the, the citizen has the right to to keep and bear arms to defend himself. So right. when when everybody wants to discuss laws or put in place uh, you know new regulations or a federal law, uh, all that is is surrendering even more. The, the allowing infringement upon your right. It's already, in, in my belief, uh, our right to keep and bear arms. And with that comes consequence, responsibility. Uh, I mean, you know, that's a reality of life. Uh, I was taught how to handle a weapon uh, properly. Uh, I was also taught very well the, to the consequence that comes with the use of that weapon. That, that you never pull and point a gun unless the intention is to kill. So, you know, the, there is that problem we have in our society where this has not been taught. Uh, the infringement has been occurring for many, many, many decades uh, that has allowed, in my opinion, has allowed this, this loss of, of teaching from father to son uh, how to properly handle a weapon uh, and the responsibility and consequences that come with it. Now, to get into the company issue, companies, you know, not having a policy uh, or having a policy that says you cannot carry a weapon. Uh, I feel that if you're in a position of whether you can make a choice to not work for that company. So you're actually making a decision when you decide to become an employee of that company to accept that policy. But in return, it should be made known that you, that I am surrendering my Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms and protect myself. You, I will hold ultimately responsible for my safety. And, and as drivers out there, uh, many just don't understand uh, the true principle of our Second Amendment right, uh, let alone we've been conditioned over you know, umpteen decades. We have been conditioned into this belief that weapons are dangerous and we've got to control them. Uh, everything the government that we allow, in my opinion, we allow this. We allow our federal government, state government, local governments uh, to put in place laws that infringe upon our Second Amendment right uh, that, that they're not aimed at dealing with the criminal element and every single one of these laws does nothing to stop the criminal from utilizing a weapon. I mean, and, and I welcome anybody to try and counter with an argument that, yes, they do, and I honestly do not feel that anybody would disagree with this, that not, not a single one of these laws that have been put in place that infringes upon my Second Amendment right uh, does anything to keep a weapon out of a criminal's hands. So, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've always, I was raised that way, I was taught that way, and that's the way I truly believe that every time we allow another law to be put in place, whether it's concealed handgun, uh, whether it's just the right to even have a gun, to register to own a gun, uh, it's like, well, wait a second, you know, I'm a responsible citizen. I don't go around robbing people. I don't go around killing people. But yet, I got to pay money. I got to pay fees. I got to submit myself to background checks. I got to get surrender my fingerprints, which, in my opinion, uh, and my belief, that infringes upon my Fourth Amendment right. Uh, it, it 
we just we allow this to occur because we've lost the basic understanding of the principles of our Constitution, our Bill of Rights. You know, just that, that basic thought, that basic understanding that I have a right to keep and bear arms, to, to protect myself. And, and it even states, you know, within there, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. Well, here we go again. A free state, in, in the principles of what this was constructed for, was to keep the federal government out of the citizens' business, you know, to keep them from becoming this big controlling, like the crown, you know, that by us right. not having that right to keep and bear arms, it keeps our federal government at bay. You know, they, they cannot infringe upon us. They cannot take and dictate to us, which is what they have eventually, we have now grown to that within our society, that it's obvious our federal government is way overstepping their enumerated powers. Uh, and yet, we've because we've been acclimated to this over many, many years, uh, through many, many generations, we've lost the true understanding of the principles in which our founding fathers wrote these these Bill of Rights in our Constitution. But, you know, we get into issues now of shippers' receivers, you know, where you're not allowed to carry, uh, no weapons on premises, which, once again, you know, my Second Amendment right allows me to carry a weapon. All right, well, if you're not going to allow me to carry on, then I will check my weapon at the, at the security gate. And when I leave, I will pick it up. Right. And, you know, right. which you guys touched on, and, and which is exactly how it should work. Uh, if a company has a policy that infringes upon your Second Amendment right, uh, because there is a choice that can be made. I mean, a driver can sit back and say, well, I'm not going to surrender my Second Amendment right. And since you have a policy that says I can't carry and protect myself within the rig, and you're, you know, I don't feel that you will uh, safely protect me while I'm running your truck around the states, then I will not sign on the dotted line. I will not work for you. So there's a choice there. So, you know, truly you, you have to look at it in reality that you're, you are choosing to accept this policy and you must abide by it. And, but in return, you should at least stand up and speak out and say, because you have a policy that is requiring me to surrender my right to protect myself, to, to keep and bear arms, then you I will hold ultimately responsible for my safety. And, you know, it's, it's taking stands like that is what's going to bring us back around to the reality of things. Uh, our state down here in Texas, uh, two years ago, just about, come September, two years ago, finally has put in place laws that, uh, that adhere to our, the citizens' Second Amendment right. Uh, if somebody comes up onto my property, I, I have the right to presume they're there to do me bodily harm, and I can shoot you. Uh, when we're driving around in our automobiles, you don't have to have a concealed weapons license, what we call a CHL down there, concealed handgun license, to carry a weapon, a loaded weapon, in your vehicle. That uh, They call it the Motorist Protection Act, that you have a right to carry, to, to keep and bear arms, to protect yourself. And there's, you know, the law enforcement down here must, must abide by that, that right. Now, if you get out of your vehicle with the weapon, then, yes, you must have a CHL. And I'm, I'm pretty much all for that because then those that do 
concealed weapon carry uh, outside of their vehicle have gone through the rigorous checks to ensure they've gone through the training, and that's the big key about getting a CHL down here, is you must go through a training process uh, as well as the background checks and the fingerprinting and everything. But you go through a procedure that, that teaches you the realities of responsibility and consequence so that when you are out there carrying, that you know you've been, you've been warned so that if you use that weapon improperly, uh, you decide to pull it and use it, and some innocent bystander that's on the other side of the person that you shot gets hurt, you are held responsible, and you understand these things. And so, I mean, we've, we've, our government down here, our state government, has put in place the proper uh, regulations or the proper laws that, that truly adhere to our Second Amendment right. And this should be done by all states. It's, it's not, uh, in, in my, my opinion, my belief, is we allow our government, which is the very reason this Bill of Rights was put in place, is to prevent our government from infringing upon that right, have infringed and continue to infringe upon it every time they put another law in place. And there's not a truck driver out there that I don't feel should not be infringed upon the right to protect himself. And the few that you have discussed on the shootings, uh, drivers that have lost their lives, is a perfect example of why, uh, you know, drivers should be able to take and, and carry. And, yes, we do have the, them fools out there that truly don't, that haven't been taught. Uh, and so with it being a commercial, you know, an interstate commerce industry, there, there should be a regulation in place, a federal regulation that is in, uh, that I feel should be inclusive with the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration regulations that uh, puts in place the proper training checks and, you know, the ability to, to determine that, the, that you are a responsible individual, you understand the rules and regulations that comes with this, basically the responsibilities and consequences. And because it's an interstate situation, that I feel that there should be some surrendering there, that, that there should be, you've got to prove that you're a responsible person and that you're truly carrying this weapon strictly to, for your safety. Uh, but beyond that, anything that they put in place, any action that's taken, I personally feel is an infringement upon our Second Amendment right, that, that basic principle of being able to, to keep and bear arms. Yeah, well that, that and well that is right. I mean, and that's kind of really what I've been trying to get across uh uh we we already have the right under the constitution. Yeah. And uh and but what I'm seeing is uh really who is uh, preventing us from our constitutional right are the uh, trucking company's policy and the shippers and the receivers, but you know, I don't even have a problem with the shippers and the receivers. Leave it at the security gate, like we mentioned earlier. You know, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. And um, if you if you make the decision, you know, well, I just won't work for this company. Well, that's going to cut out, you know, probably about ninety five percent of your uh, of your employees. No. <laughs> well, that's but but you have to look. You have to be. Uh, uh, you have to look at it in the in reality, the sense of reality. You've got to. to you know, I mean, you can't. You can't take and become 
some. Oh, I mean, I, I truly feel that both both the sides of that issue must truly be looked at in the real sense of what it is. And you know, companies do have a right to put in place a policy, and with that comes the understanding that okay, well, I have a choice. And you know, under you know, knowing that yeah, if I was to be, if I wanted to be a hard nose about it and say, well, I'm not going to work for you because of that, well, you know, that that's a personal choice. Uh, but yeah. if you're going if you're going to make that decision because you feel, well, I've got to I've got to have a job, then you should at least have the cojones to stand up and speak out about it and say, look, because of your policy. If something happens to me, you I will be holding ultimately responsible because you are you are putting me in this position of having to choose. I must work. Therefore, you know, if I die, my family is going to sue your company, and this will be the reason for it. You know, to to at least make it known that look, you know, I'm making a choice here. Uh, you know, I'm feeling like I really don't have a choice to make, and because of this. I just want to make sure that it's clear because of your policy, you're infringing upon my Second Amendment right. And because I need a job and I don't have a choice, then I want it known that if you are responsible for my safety running this truck because you have this policy. And, you know, that's, that's what I'm saying is drivers just need to, to recapture, to, to, to reinstill that principle there and not be afraid to to make the statement that then you I hold responsible for my safety and and then go about business and you know if a company wants to have a policy like that you you have a right to express exactly how you you are going to respond if something happens to you and uh, and, and I mean and that's just the reality of it I mean it truly is and if we're going to have a, a honest discussion about this then you have to look at the reality of both sides of that issue in regards to working for a company. I mean, to to be a hard nose about it, you can sit back and say, "Well, I'll be an owner off then, and I'll run my own truck and have my own company." Um, I mean, there's we all have these options yeah, you, out. Yeah, I just I just look at various statutes and everything. Uh, um, like that, you know, there is a federal firearms transportation statute and. Um, it basically states that you're allowed to transport a legally owned firearm through any state as long as you meet uh, uh, the requirements, which is uh, your weapon is kept unloaded and stored um, in a separate compartment, not readily accessible by either the driver or passengers, and any ammunition is kept separate from location of the firearm and is also not readily accessible by either the driver or passenger. And if there's not a separate available in the vehicle, then the firearm um, must be uh, kept in a locked container and stored somewhere other than the glove box or console. And, yeah. the, you know, and uh, all these little statutes and rules, uh, what, and the ammunition is locked away under the bunk, let's say. <laughs> I mean, it, it, disarmed. It, it can be really frustrating, you know. Yeah, you're disarmed. It's what? I mean, it's yeah, it's yeah, an infringement. Are. It's an infringement. And, and if you do pay, you know, really when you do, do research uh, on on all the statutes that have been put in place, 
it's all government dictating to the citizens. And the, the, in that, and this is just the, the basic belief that I, I see, and my opinion, is that every single one of these rules and statutes, regulations, laws, each and every single one of them is an infringement upon our Second Amendment right. And then it gets into, well, we allow this to happen. You know, people don't yeah. don't stand up and 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 really push the issue. Uh, and, and when it has been pushed, though, I've noticed in my research that the Supreme Court sides with the government. And so, you know, here we've got you know a problem. You know that you know that yeah. it hasn't always it hasn't always been that way because there has been like uh, let's see, I can't even remember exactly the case. It was in 2008. Uh, where it was, uh, was it United States versus Miller, I believe it was. Uh, no, it was District of Columbia versus Heller, where the Second Amendment protects an individual right to. And this is the Supreme Court in a landmark decision in District of Columbia versus Heller, 128 SCP 2783 in 2008, ruled that the Second Amendment protects an individual right to possess a firearm unconnected with a service in a militia and to use that arm for traditionally lawful purposes, such as self-defense within the home, and that the district's ban on handgun possessions in the home violates the Second Amendment. Now, you know, the Supreme Court has, from time to time, taken the proper, made the proper decisions. But no, uh, and I don't know if it's because they won't hear it, or there hasn't been enough people or an individual that has been in a position of standing up and, and and pursuing a federal constitutional case uh, in regards to his Second Amendment being violated in regards to a state law, like the situation in Florida. Whether the man had a concealed handgun license or not, his Second Amendment right grants him the right to keep and bear arms. You know, our Second Amendment right doesn't say keep and bear arms within your home or keep and bear arms within this area or that area. It says the right to keep and bear arms, and it shall not be infringed. So for him to be forced right. through this court system and just roughshodded right on through just shows right. the, the overstepping our government takes constantly of our constitutional rights. And until the citizens take a firm stand, and, and it will be a mess uh, to put things back in to make things right. You know, we we are being constantly trampled upon, and the government is just, they're going to do it. You know, they threw him in jail, they put him on bond, they they fined him, they've, they've, you know, put him through hell, and it is clearly a violation of his Second Amendment right, yet they did it anyways. Right, and, uh, yeah, and, and we touched on that earlier too, Jason, um, but <clears throat> Jason, uh, What's your thoughts on all this? Well, I think he's uh, he's hit the nail on the head. The problem is, is that you know the government runs everything. Something happens, and then you know I don't know if you ever heard the saying. It, um, the government saying is, if it isn't broke, fix it till it is. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, very true. Yeah, and I I totally agree with him. Uh, you know, 100%. Um, the problem is, is getting everybody on the same page 
in letting them understand, you know, unless somebody tells you what your rights are, a lot of people don't know. You know, yeah. they don't, they figure, you know. And, uh, you know, that late, that the last case where that couple shot that little boy because he was trespassing, um, <clears throat> you know, um, you know, things like that happen, and then, you know, people automatically assume, you know, oh, guns are bad. You know, somebody died, guns are bad. But then they don't look at, like, all the innocent people that get killed by guns, where home invasions or murders or, you know, anything like that. It's like the minute somebody hears anything negative in the news, whether it's an officer that makes a mistake or anything like that, it automatically, you know, it's on the front burner. But people don't look at it from the officer's point of view or the victim's point of view, but from the broad point of view, which is what the government tells you. You know, you can't always believe what the government tells you, obviously. Um, I mean, Texas is... You know, Texas has been a, one of our states that's had, you know, uh, a lot of people that carry guns. And, um, you know, you don't hear a lot of shootings down there like you do, you know, up here in the northeast. And, you know, maybe we could uh, take some lessons from the state and, you know, maybe implement them into the other 48 states and, you know, maybe try a program and see if it works, you know. I mean, if you have the right to do it, you have the right to bear arms, and there isn't any reason in this world why you shouldn't be able to. It's just shifting the responsibility of the individuals into government and trying to get them to understand our, you know, our our side of the story. You know, um, I think a lot of yeah, the well, judges... well, instead of the government, uh, the government's biggest problem is they're trying to please everybody, which. They're not going to right. be able to do. No, you're not going to please everybody. No, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. and what they're supposed what they're supposed to do is just look just look at the rights of the people, not trying to please everybody, not trying to please every group and everything out there, but just the right of the people, and uh, that's where the problem is uh, is coming in, I believe. Yeah, well, it's it's the it it it, it is that it's it's the people. Well, like uh, in my case, I you know I have a weapon in the house, and when when I travel outside of my community, I carry it in the vehicle. Uh, now, I have a neighbor down the street that's you know totally against weapons, you know, and it has it doesn't want nothing to do with them. But we we also I guess and it's probably just the the way Texas is is that she doesn't try to impress upon my house and my home and my rights, you know, how she feels and vice versa. You know, there's that respect among the citizens. Like, it's a choice. You have the right to keep and bear arms. It doesn't mean you have to. If you don't want a weapon in your house, don't keep a weapon in your house. But that is your right if you so choose to to keep and bear arms in your home, to Keep and bear arms when you travel, uh, but we've we've through through the centuries, through the growth of our country, uh, individuals now, and especially nowadays, because it comes at us from all directions, they want to impress upon others their beliefs, and you know, my my wholehearted, firm belief and opinion on the matter is, you know, I respect your right to choose and live as you choose to live. As long as those choices do not infringe upon my rights to choose to live how I choose, 
And we've we've lost that as a nation, you know, that basic, you know, respect to one another to, you know, I'm not going to trample upon, I'm not going to impress upon you, I'm not going to force upon you my beliefs and my choices in life, you know, in regards to my constitutional freedoms. And in return, I don't do that to you. And it's, you know, that's, that that needs to be brought back. You know, that's where it all started, that understanding, you know, that, hey, brother, you, you have a right to, to live your life as you choose, and, and I do not have a right to impress upon you and to force upon you my choices. And, you know, we see that so much, at least I see that so much nowadays, where if I, you know, I don't believe in same-sex marriage. And I, I got a big discussion going on on Twitter right now with somebody that, it's like, all right, well, I'm some type of bad guy because, you know, that's my choice, you know. And it, it, go, yeah, it coincides with my religion. But, but this here is the understanding is it's like, all right, well, you know, you choose to feel that this is okay. I choose to feel it's not okay. I'm not doing anything that steps on your rights to choose, and you should not be doing this to me. Um, and if we can just that. You know, I mean, it just all goes down. It all boils down to the part that we do have that right, and uh, like you're saying, we just have to stand on it more. So, uh, but who knows? The government's so big, and people have lost, uh, you know, sight of what their rights really are. But uh, four minutes down, uh, four minutes remaining. So, um, I'll uh, let me wind it up here. Uh, Silver Surfer, Jason, thanks for. Uh, Thanks for calling in, being a part of the show, and everybody in the chat room. Uh, remember, everything in our Constitution shows that we, our nation's truck drivers, can legally carry a firearm, even a commercial motor vehicle, as long as we abide by the rules uh, set forth. It's, it's your constitutional right to carry a firearm, even in a CMV. Truck and company policies, they have the right for that. Um, uh, that's your choice. Uh, it's your decision. Um, the question is, do you want to go against your company's policy and risk losing your job? That's really what it all boils down to until the situation changes, if it changes, uh, if, if ever. So that is the question that you have to uh, ask yourself, just like Silver Surfer comes up. Again, like I said, uh, if, if you don't, if you don't, wanna, don't want that, truck, that company policy, that's going to eliminate a lot of employment. But really, that's what it boils down to. But... They are infringing, infringing on your uh, Second Amendment rights. So, um, thanks for joining me on this broadcast of Truth About Trucking Live. We have three minutes now. I'll be taking a little break this week. Our next show is uh, Sunday, May 17, 2009 a.m. Uh, we'll be taking a look at Jason's Law. Hope you join me for that. Uh, so, until next time, just remember, um, we are still we the people. And we are the champions. We have the constitutional right. So it's time for Truth About Trucking Live. I'm Alan Smith, my state. And we'll take the
Okay, thanks again, everybody, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Uh, Sunday, May 17, 2009, at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we'll be looking at Jason's Law. Um, it's been uh, presented to a uh, House of Representatives. It's been presented to the Senate. It has been assigned to Bill Number S-971. has been sent to committee. Very important bill brought about by a horrible tragedy. I hope you'll join us for that program as we'll open it up for discussion and tell you what you can do to help get this vital bill, vital bill passed into law. Sunday, May 17th, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, good night, everybody.